This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Shouldn't you be at work? Batistuta! Oh, what a fantastic hit! Back in towards Brecker! And that is an absolute gem of a goal. George Ware on the prowl, bang! Di Matteo to Signore. Fabulous strike. And here's an opportunity. Zola, lovely dummy. Oh, what a goal for Palmer. Here's Victor. Rabanelli again. Baggio. This is Deschamps. And it's two. Now, you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, oh he has to. No. Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin. Will he score series three, episode one? I'm Chris Gold, joining me my co-host Josh Whittacombe. Hello. And some say that he helped Alan Sugar wash his car with Jürgen Klinsmann's shirt. Others claim, more unbelievably, that he can understand every word Kenny Dalgleish says. It's Michael Marden. Hello. How are you? Very well. Good to be back. It's lovely, isn't it? Dusting off the mics. <laughs> back in the game. <laughs> I was thinking uh, it feels like... Um... The same thing. <laughs> Look, uh, we should thank everyone who came to the two live shows in London. They were genuinely two brilliant nights. Um, point of reference, on the second night, apparently Steve Stone was in the audience but didn't make himself known. Oh. And people saying to me, oh, I can't believe you got Steve Stone down and then didn't get him involved. We didn't know. He went <laughs> we of his did. own accord. Astonishingly discussed Steve Stone, randomly, but he didn't even make himself known yeah, who, we tried to smoke him out whoever was with Steve Stone and didn't shout out shame on you <laughs> and we have got two more live dates in one is in Manchester at the Lowry which has sold out however we will be doing our first ever comedy festival gig we're playing at the McCunthlet Comedy Festival on the uh, May Day bank holiday on Friday evening please do come because we do worry that we're going to get a lot of festival goers who don't know anything about 90s football. <laughs> that is the only live date we have currently in the diary that is available. So if you do want to see us live, come to the Mahantlith Comedy Festival on the May Day Bank Holiday. Lots of other brilliant acts there. People who've been on this show, James Acaster, Nish Kumar, Ellis James, they will all be there as well. Make a weekend of it. Wear a 90s football shirt. Shall we get on with the correspondence? Yes. I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the Electronic Post Bag. You've got mail. 
Well, here we are back in electronic postbag territory and our postbag has been bulging over the last few months we've been away and we've got some absolute corkers. And why not begin with James Beatty's Latin textbook? That's Beatty, nice try. Oh, it's a lovely goal. It's a lovely goal by James Beatty. Hold on, that was textbook. This one's from Toby Jones, just catching up on some older podcasts and heard the James Beatty Latin story. I used just to refill people in, that was about um, two people that found James Beatty's Latin textbook and we debated. It was a long debate over a few episodes whether James Beatty had gone to a, a very posh school and learnt Latin. Yeah. <laughs> and then we got an email from other people who were in different classes as in, we were trying to piece yeah. together all his different lessons. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this from Toby Jones. I used to walk James's dogs, Sherpies, and I can confirm he studied Latin. He once told me there was two sittings for the exam, <laughs> and him and his friends set up a system where one of them in the first sitting went to the toilet and left a note under the system with all the questions, which was then recovered by young James Beatty, who checked the answers in advance of his exam. He got a B. Toby Jones. <laughs> How did he only get a B? Every time we do a James Beatty's Latin textbook email, I think, now we've got the story. <laughs> and then someone like... will give us another little tidbit. That's like that scene in The Godfather where uh, Luca Brasi hides a gun for Michael Corleone <laughs> in the toilet. I'm just picturing like a young Oinvid Leonardson like, <laughs> sneaking in the answers. <laughs> so, James Beatty's school had a two... I just don't... I don't know whether I am. Two Latin exams? Two Latin exams? How posh was James Beatty's school? I, mean, I don't always want to be the cynic, but... Yeah. Yeah, the first one was BC, the second AD. <laughs> now, this is from Robin Punter. Josh and Chris. Sorry, Michael. I was playing Championship Manager about seven years ago and was getting bored whilst in charge of Mansfield. I didn't want to resign, as I knew it was much harder to get another post if you quit, so I tried to get the sack by deliberately messing with the team lineup and tactics. After about 15 straight losses, I was still no nearer being sacked. So finally, I decided I had no option and resigned. But remarkably, I got a new job at Coventry very quickly. I then decided it would be quite funny to post a manager's statement on Facebook. <laughs> I can't remember the exact words, but it went something like this. I would like to thank everyone that I've had the pleasure of working with over the last three years. <laughs> but I feel it's time to move on. I believe I've gone as far as I can work with a great set of people... So with great sadness, I've resigned to move on to pastures new. <laughs> I'd also like to thank the good people at Coventry for giving me this new opportunity so quickly. I look forward to starting out on my new adventure in the coming weeks. At this point, I was thinking, this is definitely something I would have done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was quite pleased with that. However, this was on a Sunday afternoon. I wasn't due back in my real job until Tuesday. As I walked into work on Tuesday morning, I was greeted by team leader who looked completely shocked and asked what I was doing here. When I asked her why, she seemed so surprised. She explained she'd read my Facebook post, believed it to be genuine, (laughs) and told my department manager I'd resigned. (laughs) I wasn't coming back to work. I had to go to my manager and explain the post wasn't a genuine work-related resignation. And was only meant as a bit of fun. <laughs> that was the last time I tried to be ultra cover, and from then onwards, I kept all of my press releases to myself in my head. Robin Punter. <laughs> Lovely. Oh, I love it. You know, you hear these stories of Championship Manager getting you sacked, you stayed up all night. Yeah. That's got to be the best Championship Manager <laughs> got me sacked story of all That's time, doesn't it? Right. Lastly, thank God we've had an update on the Lee Sharp fan club. 
we had a letter about the Lee Sharp fan club. Someone else still had the T-shirt, which was a picture of Lee Sharp barbecuing, right? Yeah. I, I think it's important to say it was an email, not a letter. Stop. Although right. that is this, <laughs> this is a nineties podcast, so it's for people wanting to know what our PO box is. So there is a letter. Yeah. Um, Sarah Hazel says, Hi, Chris, Josh and Michael. I'm late to the party, loving the podcast. I've just listened Don't to the episode. Don't need to leave that in, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> Having just listened to the episode where you talk about Lee Sharp's fan club, I wanted to let you know about my time as a devoted member in the early yes, 90s. Please. I didn't make the barbecue oh. you mentioned. But in December of 1994, Lee held a big Christmas party at the Discotheque Royale in Manchester for members of the fan club from all over the UK. And I came from Canterbury on a coach full of other nah. Lee Sharp fan club members. Right. Whoa, 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 let's yes. just stop. Should we stop there? Yes. What? Lee's holding this party at the Discotheque Royale, admittedly in his pomp. <laughs> and there's enough people from Canterbury to fill a coach. I mean, that's incredible. <laughs> Amazing scene. Wow. Okay, so carry on. Um, she says, mostly teenage girls like myself, but also reluctant parents to spend oh. the day and night and the presence of our idol. God. How much is Sharp pulling in for this, do you reckon? <laughs> is this... Is this- I mean, you financially can, worth it. You can well, it see seems... why his career went wayward on the pitch when he's doing, he's, he's got to organise all this coach travel <laughs> or arranging chaperones alone. The day started with a tour of Old Trafford. Where Stop. We met... <laughs> I, I'm well played to Lee that he's cleared that one with the club. Can you imagine him trying to clear that with Alex Ferguson? I've got, I'm shipping up some girls from Canterbury and around the provinces who are fans of me. Can I just walk them around Old Trafford? The day started with a tour of Old Trafford where we met Lee's mum and dad, who were both lovely. <laughs> of course they were. Do you know what? They're definitely They're doing... Not, he's not even from Manchester. He's had to get them up especially as well. <laughs> I remember being blown away because she had a mobile phone that she would call Leon and update on his location. Oh, <laughs> it's like club call. I think we were late going to the disco because the coach from Glasgow got delayed in traffic. <laughs> what? There's a Glasgow faction of the Lee, Lee Sharp fans. Just well. imagine the scene. Lee's mum, she's on the phone to all the coaches, only <laughs> Lee as well. She's like a sort of taxi controller. We went we headed to the disco to wait for Lee. Oh, so Lee wasn't on the main He's not on the, the main tour. Old Trafford he's... tour. That's done by no, his parents. I think, yeah. yeah, they're filling out the day. I think he's... Are his parents like a kind of... Like the Jackson parents? Like, is Lee Sharp... Like, profiteering from Lee Sharp. Macaulay Culkin. Lee Sharp, he never had a proper youth. Yeah. His parents had him playing football so young. And now they're profiting from him. He's completely estranged now. He had to divorce his parents. <laughs> I think his brother was the DJ, and the place oh, went yeah, that crazy. Is, that is yeah. We've had that. The place went crazy when Lee arrived. Where is it? He headed through the crowd and to the DJ box, whilst YMCA by the village people played <laughs> <with> the PA <laughs> system. <laughs> the parting of the sea. As Lee Sharp, the all-conquering hero, comes in, he spent hours meeting all the guests, posing for photos, and signing autographs. He then hosted a raffle where you could win Lee Sharp goodies. I won a t-shirt of him dressed as Santa. <laughs> but sadly, it's been lost over the years. Lee is doing a fine trade in like novelty Lee Sharp merchandise, isn't he? <laughs> and later on in the evening, he introduced the music acts for the night. Boy bands, Asno, Optimistic and MN8. <laughs> Have you heard of any of those? Uh, M and A rings a bell. M and A, yeah, they yeah. won the soundtrack to Bad Boys. Yeah, and they did. I actually, I 
I was seeing it, or I fancied a girl around this time. This had been like early 1995, and I bought her their single on CD, trying to impress her. Yeah. And she broke up with me because her family didn't have a CD player, and she thought I was taking the piss. And she wanted a cassette. <laughs> I think the Man United. It's still going. <laughs> it's still going. <laughs> the, you're probably thinking, was there a mascot there? Yes, the Man United mascot, Fred the Red, had also turned up. It was one of the best days of my life. Of Keep up the good work. Looking forward to Series Three, Sarah. Wow, the Lee that Sharp Fan Club. Best story. Thank I've you, ever heard. Sarah. Shrouded in even more mystery. It's funny that we've got more detail here, but I've got more questions than I've ever had. <laughs> Anyone about else it. is in the Lee Sharp Fan Club and got anything to say on it? Please email us hello at quicklykevin.com. But now. Our first guest of the series. Josh, actually, look up there. Check your flight number. It's go to gate A5. It's time to board and get abroad. Yes, you join me here on my piazza in um, <laughs> Naples. Uh, just having a lovely latte. And um, I'm just reading uh, through the, uh, the Gazetta della Sport, which... <laughs> says that uh, Alexandre Del Piero is considering a move to Inter, but of course we all know that's not true. Um, now, uh, the reason I'm here uh, is not that we've brought back the short-lived feature about transfer gossip that lasted three weeks, because there was not enough content. It is because our first guest of the series, the presenter of Football Italia, probably the most iconic football presenter of the 90s. Please welcome James Richardson. Our guest today is one of the iconic broadcasters of the 90s and beyond as the face of Football Italia on Channel 4. He regaled us with transfer rumours from his Italian piazza, hung out regularly with Paul Gascoigne, went to a prayer meeting with Toribo West and even once did the Lombardo with Attilio Lombardo. It's our pleasure to welcome to Quickly Kevin Willie Score, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr James Richardson. Thank you ever so much, Chris. Did you, which of those did you enjoy the most? Lombardo. Yeah. That's an iconic moment, which, as far as I can tell, doesn't exist anywhere in the wide no, and, and wonderful realms of, of, of the web. There's some kind of dusty tape in Channel 4. They must have it. Yeah, all the missing Doctor Who episodes and that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, it's a good time to talk to you about uh, Football Italia, because... You're, you've just started Golaccio, your Italian football podcast. Yeah. Don't do a 90s football podcast, that's taken. <laughs> <laughs> and also you're doing a documentary for BT Sport about well, 25 yes. years of football Italian. Documentary is a slightly grand title for oh, it. Is it? Uh, we have compiled a number of interviews with people who do remember watching the show or indeed playing in Italy in that period. Yeah. And, and they've been edited together. I'm... That counts as a documentary in my Yeah, book. okay. Yeah. And then I went to Italy and, and, and kind of stood in some piazzas like oh, back did in the you? day. Yeah, and said some of the things that I used to say then. Oh, wow. How yeah. did that feel? Uh, strangely normal, actually. Yeah? Yeah, a, a, a little bit too comfortable. <laughs> yeah, you mean, would you go back? Go back to Italy? The thing is, it's a little bit like going out with somebody in that when you first begin, you know, with a new country, yeah. that relationship, there it infinite possibilities, infinite promise to the whole thing. So you plough wholeheartedly into it. And once you've been through a breakup with that person, if you ever were to get back with an ex, yeah. you kind of, yes, there's a, an awareness of the practicalities. Yes, there's a realism to it, a pragmatism. 
But at the same time, that magic of, of feeling that this could be the answer, the yeah. one thing that's going to... So that, I wouldn't have that, perhaps, but yeah. a, a day... I, I was there for, what, three days this time. First day, I was thinking, good God, what was I doing here for 10 years? And by about midday on the second day, I was, ciao, ragazzi, eccomi qua. <laughs> you, you met up with Beppe Signore. Yes. That sounds like a weird experience. Well, um, not in itself, because he's mm. a very nice guy. Yeah. But he's had a, a busy time of it since leaving is football. He banned from football? He is banned from football, poor chap, on account of, well, as he puts it, he had some unfortunate acquaintances, and he likes to bet, and he has a famous name, and these factors together meant that he ended up being the kind of poster boy for a match-fixing inquiry. Right. Bepi looks a bit dishevelled. I mean, no doubt I look a bit dishevelled to him as well. But, yeah, you could see where life had kind of crinkled him a little bit around How the long was it since you'd last seen Bepi Signore? Well, I would think probably around about... I mean, it might be even 20 years or something. Wow. So Yeah, really. Did you greet him as a long-lost brother? Well, I did, but he kind of... he kind of looked at me like some random tramp who'd <laughs> come up to him, palm outstretched. And then I like to think that a look of realisation and, and shock spread across his face as he... Yeah, put it all together. As he put it all together and, and managed to kind of divine within my kind of haggard features that the fresh-faced cherub who had once faced him across of the channel microphone. He's like uh, Chaz Palmateri at the end of Usual Suspects, just sort of piecing yeah, it all together. Exactly. As he, he limped away in the background. <laughs> what time is it, Beppy? <laughs> yeah. So um, it's 1992. Oh, good. Hazy summer of Italian 90 looms large over... English football, perhaps most importantly, the jewel in the English crown, Paul Gascoigne. He's just left Spurs for Lazio. Camera crash zooms on a man stepping down some Italian airport steps. It's 26-year-old James Richardson. He's got long flowing locks. He's got an Italian girlfriend on his arm. He's laughing, thinking, what a time to be alive. Freeze frame, record scratch. Zoom in. How did you get there? <laughs> yeah, I guess you're wondering uh, how this... How this slightly bouffant hair dude, pasty-faced English chap with zero knowledge of English football and no experience presenting, uh, finds himself fronting a, uh, a Channel 4 show. So the girl is the key ingredient in this. <laughs> I met so her, many great stories. I suppose we met and I decided that I was now, to all intents and purposes, an, an Italian. Started supporting Roma, learned Italian, all that kind of thing. I was working at Sky at the time as a kind of producer. Mm. And when Channel 4, on account of Gaza moving to Italy, nicked the rights from one of their noses. Sky at the time were a little bit busy stealing uh, the soul of football, <laughs> as it turned out. So I, I rang up the production company and said, oh, you guys are going to be doing Italian yeah. football. Do you have any work going? I mean, I research or anything like that. But like and a cold call. No, I knew... But that's kind of what you do anyway, yeah, okay. I think. But I did actually know somebody who, who worked at that production company. So I rang her and I said, listen, you know, I'm going to be doing Bundesliga at this rate. <laughs> uh, nobody wants that, least of all the Germans. So do you have any work going? She said, they're looking for a presenter. I said, don't be silly. Uh, don't you have any researchers' jobs? She said, give them a call. I said, OK, whatever. And of course I didn't because, you know, Sometimes you just don't want to be... You don't want to be going, oh, can I be your presenter? I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So a week went by, and we ended up speaking again. And she said, did you ever call this guy? I said, no. Do you have any research jobs going? She said, listen, they don't have anybody. And by now, it was only about a month, five weeks before the start of the season. She said, listen, you get in touch. They need someone. I've worked. i been working in TV. I did speak Italian. So from that point of view, I was qualified. So I went to see the guy who was putting it together, Neil Duncanson, and... I was really keen that he didn't harm me under any kind of false pretenses. So I said, I explained to him about my basic ignorance of 
of, of a subject matter that most of the viewers were going to be yeah. well versed in, I felt. And um, he said, no, go for it. So, so off I went. Now, initially, I wasn't the presenter. Yeah. The presenter was Gaza. Yeah. Well, for the Sunday, they didn't have a presenter. It was just Peter Brackley and, and uh, Ray Wilkins as I subsequently discovered his name was, uh, doing the commentary. <laughs> um, but uh, for the Saturday show, that was going to be Gaza's show. He would be hosting that and taking us through his, his, his world. And that lasted, I mean, a couple of shows, and then he just wasn't there. And that was actually my job, was to be there, live in Rome, maybe go and film the odd feature myself, but, but largely produce Gaza's links. Yeah. Which I failed at to the extent <laughs> that I got his job instead. What a glorious failure. Exactly. You're rewarded. I, not even a football manager comes out of failure. <laughs> smelling so sweet. He would have been in the white hot heat of fame. Oh, very at much that so. Point. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I, I'm sure I was extremely intimidated because he was. Although a very generous and, and charming and, and entertaining fellow, he was, as you say, a, an absolutely stratospherically famous footballer and quite a robust-looking chap, and also from the north, which you know carries its own certain you know, <laughs> psychological <laughs> pressure for anyone from London. Did you, when he got cut from he, the show, did he care? Did he not? Oh, no, I don't think he cared. No. I, also, he was still involved. He would still be his, doing his little diary segment. Yeah. But um, with the best will in the world, I don't think he was aware of what time it was from one minute to another. <laughs> so I don't think that he ever thought, damn. Yeah, this could be my, my break as a TV presenter. Fronting a, a Channel 4 game show in the noughties <laughs> called Grand Slam <laughs> <laughs> has gone to that upstart. I'm sick to death of you. Honestly, you come here, you're crawling, you're a creep, you're sniveling, you're pestering me, I've got no peace with you. And I know the story with you and the goat. Now go on, out. And what did you say, Paul? I said, yes, Mr Zemin. Will you let me play on Sunday? What a terrific story. Well, we're hearing more about Paul's uh, probable comeback later on in today's show and other subjects besides, I shouldn't wonder. Right now, of course, it's time for Ken. You've got a very kind of distinctive style, which I'd say defined Gazetta Football Italia. Your excellent wordplay, kind of laid-back presenting style. How much of that was thought through? How much did you go, or how much were you just winging it on a kind of, I'll just be who I am? Probably a bit of, of all of that. Mm. From the perspective I had, I wasn't going to be studying anyone with my incredible analysis of football. Yeah. So it felt like what I maybe could do was make it as entertaining as possible. But I don't think that it was particularly entertaining to start off with. I mean, in terms of my work, the football certainly was, but uh, I, that was something that evolved a bit. I maybe threw yeah. in a, a little line here and there, and, the, and then somebody said, oh, I, I liked your line, I th and then I, you get that you buzz, get, you get yeah, that hit, yeah, yeah, and suddenly yeah. you want more. Well, you were, <laughs> great, you were great at similes. I've got a couple here. Oh. Um, the Scudetto is as sewn up as Cliff Richards flies. Oh, wow. um, Palmer have as much chance of winning top. as I do growing an afro. All right, yeah. You loved a simile. Yeah, are those similes? That, yeah, I think so, yeah. Bingo, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, in terms uh, of feedback, yeah. there's this kind of weird thing where you're living in a country where the show's not going out. Mm. So you've kind of got no feeling for how your star is rising in the UK. So, yeah, absolutely. For that 10 years, effectively, in Italy, I was living in a country where nobody... Nobody was watching what I was doing, which prepared me nicely for my career after. <laughs> no, but it was it was a bit surreal because it was a big leap in the first place because I've been kind of a, a production type mm. and then suddenly got this job fronting a, a, a TV show. But the reality of that never really... I mean, you get the odd bit when you... If I came back to England, some people might go, oh, you're the Italian football bloke. Yeah. 
But by and large, it was never really a, a, a reality. Was there any point in the 90s when you thought, I should kind of move this into English football or move towards the BBC or ITV? Well, I did do a bit of work with the BBC. You did Euro 96, didn't you? I did Euro 96 in 98, and in 99 I was going to come back to England, and they, they said, let us know if you're over, mm. because we, we can get you some work on Football Focus or something. I've probably gone a little bit like Kurtz in Heart of Darkness, or sorry, in Apocalypse Now, whatever. Yeah. I, I was, I've been up the river too long at this point, so I, <laughs> I probably thought to myself, Path Football Focus. <laughs> I front question a sport or nothing. <laughs> and, and anyway, when I came back to England, we, yeah, we had a summer and then we decided we were going back to Italy anyway. And, then, and that burnt apparently all my bridges with the B because when I went back to them for the next tournament, they went, no, we think you're overqualified. <laughs> overqualified? Yeah, I, I think I know what they meant. <laughs> so the time you are in Italy, who, did you have a crew out there? Did you have like a production team? Was it you in a car? Well, so the way that that show worked was I was out there with uh, pretty much a cameraman and a sound man, and we'd film whatever it was we were filming, and then I'd get the tapes or the footage back to England. We used to do satellites to begin with, but then we'd just have somebody come out and courier the tapes back, or sometimes I'd bring them back. And that's how it works. And everybody else was back in England. On the Friday, they'd edit the show together, and it would go out on Saturday morning. And then on Sundays, I'd head to wherever we were doing the game, and we'd get a, a unilateral satellite feed up. So I'd be sat basically at the back of the press box generally on a desk or something with a guest Paul Elliott it always it looked very tight when yeah, you, well, you was... and Paul Elliott or whoever it would be right. it was kind of very much DIY yeah TV and how involved were you in kind of choosing the game or like well the game not not particularly but the what went into the Saturday show was very much my responsibility in terms of arranging interviews and, and, and sorting all that sort of stuff out so you just going from your little black book of Attilio Lombardo, etc. Yeah, mainly Attilio Lombardo. <laughs> he left for Palace and then... Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was the end. <laughs> was it. it all dried up after that. It does used. feel insane that you were kind of the, also the, the fixer. Yeah. As well as the presenter. It wasn't the easiest country to be fixing things in either. <laughs> They haven't got a history for we'll it. We'll get into that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember that I'd asked someone for advice before I went out yeah. to Italy, like, what do you think I should do as a presenter? And he said, well, you know, not many people are walking and talking. <laughs> Brave new world. So, so for the first six months, I, I got a lot you know, of You know, that's where the West Wing got yeah. it from. Possibly. <laughs> Possibly. A lot of football yeah. Aaron Sorkin's a big fan of Galatia. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I'm quite a shy person, so that I didn't find that bit of the job terribly yeah. easy. But my uh, great advantage was the fact that I was English, and, and still am. Uh, the Italians, much as we have, or I think a lot of English folk have a, a great fascination with everything Italian, or there's a certain kind of a, attraction about the Italian way, and they certainly feel that, and particularly with anything relating to football, they regard the English, you know, yeah. With, with some reason, as the the founders of the game, the people who kind of still conserve the you know the, the flame yeah. of the correct sporting spirit and all that, and uh, so they they generally were a lot more accommodating to me because I was English than if I'd been from yeah say Belgium to give a bad example, but, you know. <laughs> but you had like an access you would couldn't dream of these days. Could yeah, you? well, I think anyone now might dream of. You probably have to pay for that access these days. Were they all just doing it on a? If we turn up with a camera, Paul Ince, we can just you right to do this. Sketch. Well, there were a lot of times when we didn't get things, but yeah. it was it was remarkable the number of times that people did just say, "Oh yeah, fine, come along." Was that especially so with the expats, like your plat and your? English? Sure, because we had them on contract. 
<laughs> but no, also I think that, that for example, David Platt and Incy, I think were happy to see. You know, Paul Ince was living out in uh, Como on, on Lake Como in a lovely spot, but it wasn't the liveliest of, of, of places. So I think me turning up, it gave you know gave him someone to talk to. He he integrated pretty well yeah. with his entertainment. I, I think was was cut up about leaving, and in fact uh, that massive documentary we've done. One of the really nice things is we had we had a bit of a, a chat uh, about his days there, and he he you could see his eyes light up when it, he it uh, seemed relived. like. You and Ince, more than any other player that you were kind of worked with, seemed like you had a genuine friendship mm. and bond. Yeah. I mean, I like to think so. I would stay over at his place sometimes after we'd filmed, and sometimes he'd call me up late at night for Tomb Raider tips. Because <laughs> <laughs> Tomb Raider had come out on the, yeah. with the old PlayStation 1. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I was a w- ahead of him. <laughs> well, that's something, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know, that's not the weirdest. I once had a phone call from David Dean asking me about a football player. Oh yeah, yeah. Asking you what, like in yeah, in a kind of knowledge. scouting sense, and people wonder why Arsenal are in the most. As a Mustafi, trust me. Sorry, <laughs> God. How was that time? Did you like? Did you have an active social life? Like, what did you love that period of your life? Or, no, or was it a lonely existence in cars, like going to oh, grounds? Oh right, or? that no. Well, so. Um, Let's really drill it. Yeah. That was a weird <laughs> question. I mean, just fascinated by your lifestyle, like it's, no, it wasn't. Um, it was kind of tame. See, I'd met this Italian girl and wanted to move to Italy because she lived in Rome. So me getting this job was ridiculously fortunate because now all of a sudden, having almost been fired from Sky for using their phones to, to call her up, uh, <laughs> and then their fax phone, because I thought no one could trace that number. <laughs> they could. So I, I, I moved out to Italy, and, and so we began, you know, quite a serious relationship at this point. So we had quite a, you know, a, a domestic setup. And then after a certain period of time, what had begun as, as a holiday romance, the process of it meeting the cold, hard light of reality. Paul Instringing up with two. Paul Instringing <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't sign up for this. I mean, to cut long story short, basically at a certain point that, that stopped. And then, then I had a period of, of, of kind of being single in Rome, which was, you know, very entertaining. And yeah. Going into bars, going. There's a channel called Channel Four. I'm not <laughs> sure if you're aware of it. <laughs> I'd say of all the people we've interviewed from the '90s, ah. yours is the life. Yours, it was almost like Cassetta Football Italia. Almost felt like a kind of lifestyle piece. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, it was wish you were here and Cassetta Football Italia. Yeah. There was, I think, a strong element of selling the holiday. Yeah. Well, that's why I thought the piazza was yeah. done because it was like, we, look, we clearly no, that was for money. No, genuinely, uh, Neil Duncanson, who put the show together, hired me, and I was very cheap. And the whole newspaper thing came about because they didn't want to pay any rights. So <laughs> rather than actually pay any right, it's, he said, well, "Why don't you just get a pile of newspapers and hold them up to camera?" Which <laughs> I mean, that's the cheapest idea. No possible. graphics. And I wanted to make it as as glamorous as possible. So that's where the ice creams came in, and uh, and that's how that worked. And James meets a team on the up, Torino, as they prepare to meet Juventus in tomorrow's big derby game. Thank you, Ken. Right, once again, I've been able to find myself a bar, a pile of newspapers, and here a croissant, and thus we're ready to start this week's show with, as ever, a look back at last weekend in Serie A. In my head, I don't know if this is a phantom memory, but I've got a memory, and I don't know why I've still got this, 
of you going CD shopping with the players from Palmer. Oh, mm, yeah, no, that, that, that did happen. <laughs> no, but it, it's one of those little things, let's just get a bit of B-roll. Yeah, um, yeah. I think if you watch that footage, you can see the moment when Marco Ozio gets really tired of me hanging around, <laughs> saying, no, this is good. Because at the time, I still knew about music. It was yeah. before you know, the 10 years of cultural exile had taken their toll. <laughs> so Palmer, in 1992, were in London... No, 1993, sorry, the end of that first Ooh. season, were in London to play in the Cup Winners' Cup against Antwerp right. at Wembley. We'd followed Palmer a fair bit, and they were always known at the time as this really friendly, very kind of, almost like a village team. But you know, that's... They used to train in the local park and all this Did kind they? of thing. And they, they had some big names. Thomas Brolin was there. A lot of players who went on to, to, to quite big things after. But they were still very low-key. And, and they, they were quite enchanted by the fact that an English crew would, would yeah. come up. And, and then, so having met them a couple of times in Parma, we caught up with them in, in, in London and, and, and followed them around. And when they took, I think, an open-top bus tour, <laughs> see the sights, and it was raining. It's like those episode of Friends. Remember, where, yeah, where very much Ross so. gets married. Yeah. They were my favourite episodes of Friends. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things was we went into, I think it was Tower in those days, yeah, in Piccadilly yeah. Circus. But, but, and Marco Orsio, I'm pretty sure it was, who was known as the mayor, Sindaco, because he was kind of the heart of the team, was perusing the CDs and we were I'm just getting yeah get some shots of this and Michael we're getting, this we're getting gold here he, he specifically I remember being excited by Depeche Mode try walking in my shoes which oh, perhaps really? held a special resonance for him as a as a footballer I supported Palmer throughout the 90s okay. when I watched Serie A and I think it came from seeing that and going this is a nice bunch of guys <laughs> no they, they were to be fair a really nice, yeah. bu- a nice bunch of guys they were um, kind of a team that defined Italian 90s football. Mm, well, and, and in that was that, that was their era in so yeah. many ways. Yeah, and then it was, it all wasn't kind it? of dropped off, didn't it? Well, yeah, when it turned out that actually the, the guy had <laughs> stolen all the money from pensioners. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I think it was worth it. It was worth it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, before, before we move too far away from the, oh, yeah. from the piazza, um, obviously, it's a bit of guerrilla style. Sometimes you'd see people come into shot, sit behind you, realise you're actually filming something and, and totter off. How aware were you? Well, quite often, uh, because that was a five-minute segment that wasn't actually filmed in five minutes, they would literally disappear from one moment to another. <laughs> <laughs> you Continuity know, errors it, everywhere. Well, the, 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 yeah, there was nothing shady about that. It was, <laughs> it was just that, yeah, I'd had to go for a half an hour's worth of, of takes over saying... How many ice creams are you bringing out to get rid No, that, that's a genuinely... Uh, quite important point when when <laughs> when spring came around and the weather's yeah. soared we'd have to basically keep refreshing the, the refreshments <laughs> yeah because you're spending your sundays with paul elliott or um ray wilkins for instance ray didn't come out actually. Uh, peter brackley and ray wilkins they, they, they were very the... much in london ray i think the first time ray came out would be i think it was either 97 or 98 and i'd not met him Oh, yeah. We'd had six years of football Italian. I'd never met him. Uh, my first ever live link on TV ended with me forgetting his name. <laughs> uh, I, I said over to our commentators, Peter Brackley and, and Ray. And I don't know if you've ever not known yeah, someone's yeah. name, but quite often you, you start the name just on the assumption that the rest is going to follow. <laughs> but that day, it, it really didn't. And it was just me and a camera. So was that, 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 was that Sampdoria versus Lazio? No, no that was because the, the first season, I, I wasn't the presenter on the, on the live games. I, yeah. Uh, and then the second season came around and I thought, well, what we should do now is actually get a, a face on the, the, the Sunday afternoon stuff. But yeah, that Sam Lazio game was a, that, was a stone cold, cold classic. I remember watching that, 3-3. Mm. Do you think the fact that was such a good game mm. impacted 
on your... De- if that had been a nil-nil, do you well, think... Well, it, it must have helped. It yeah. must have helped having a you know six-goal opening game because those weren't particularly high-scoring times yeah. in Syria. No. That and the, particularly the season after when, when Milan basically thought, Baresi, Costa Curta, Tassotti, yeah. it's not enough. Let's bring in Dessay to sit in front of them. <laughs> <laughs> and, and really shut, shut the league down. Yeah. Uh, but the main... The main things, the main ingredients that made Ooh, that show... A success. Yeah, the, the, the big hit that it was within the kind of weird little ecosystem, the weird niche that it was a success in. But that had a particular resonance, I think, for three or four reasons, a couple of which, Chris, you've already touched on. One, the fact that we just had Italia 19. Everybody was still a little bit on a high yeah. from that whole tournament. This was a, a league that featured a lot of the stadiums which had housed such happy memories yeah. uh, for us. Secondly, Sky had just whipped English football off terrestrial TV, so there was no other football to watch. Yeah. Thirdly, England had done pretty well at that World Cup, and three members of that team were actually playing in Italy, as, as well as pretty much, well, I'd say the majority of the players you'd admired at Italian variety. Yeah. And thirdly, part two is the fact that we had Gaza, and Gaza was not only the biggest player that we'd produced in years, the biggest player we'd produced who was now testing himself out on the ultimate stage the ultimate test to see if we could you know an English footballer could measure up against the greats but he also hadn't kicked a football professionally for 18 months when he debuted for how far between Lazio Sampdoria how soon after that does Gaza he made his debut in October against Genoa I think and were you there yeah how was that was it it was quite unremarkable I don't think it was a particularly exciting game I remember it being an evening game what sticks in my mind is meeting Gary Lineker for the first time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was there for the BBC to do a, yeah, yeah. a, a thing with Gaza. And um, he was you know, quite pleasant. He said hello and things. So that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> About the game, I had no recollections at all. So were you part of like Gaza's inner circle at that time? Well, thankfully, no. Uh, <laughs> you and Jimmy Five Bellies? I don't think I really would have lasted very long in that personal circle. <laughs> Gaza, to be fair, would from time to time say because we would typically film with him on th- on the Thursday and he would often say we're going out to do this or would you like to come out tonight what kind of activities i would think going to a bar and having yeah. a drink or something I mean, nothing crazy but because uh, often it would be with his lads your teammates Aaron Vinter or someone like that but thursday night fortunately for me because i hate going out fortunately for me and i would have been so wildly out of my depth yeah, so Thursday night for me was when I had to get all the footage back to either edit it down and give the tapes or, or take it to a, a, a satellite feed. So that, that didn't happen very often. A couple of times we, you know, we went out and had some dinner and stuff. Be, do you know what? I'd do anything for a night out with Aaron well, no, Venter. Absolutely. <laughs> that, that's the thing. You know, when I think of the opportunities I had that I squandered. Yeah. <laughs> Did you, you were close. So you knew Gazza, David Platt and Des Walker also out there at the start. Des was there briefly, but one of my abiding memories is his taillights receding into the distance with me saying, Alan Partridge saying Dan, but it's me saying Des, Des. <laughs> because things, we must have spoken on one occasion, but things didn't work out terribly well for him there. Yeah. In the Do I Not Like That, the Graham Taylor documentary, there's a snatched mm. overheard conversation with Des Walker where, he, where he's explaining to the rest of the team that one of the big myths about uh, Italy is that there's actually quite a lot of different types of pasta. There's not just two or three. And then he begins to name them. About, I think he gets through about 10 to 20. Wow. James, can you, can you also bust that myth that there's only a ton of two or three types of pasta? Do you agree with Des Walker on that No, point? I mean, pasta is pasta, you know. 
It's like, you know, podcasts are podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> You're just putting it on it's to fill the time, aren't really, you? Really, yeah. It's just if you haven't got anything else in a podcast, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> um, other footballers you seem to really get on with, Viali. Yeah. You know, oh, Viali yeah. seems to have a bit of chemistry. Well, I'm glad you said that. I, I always enjoyed talking to him. I've, I found him very illuminating. He would say things that would bring you a fresh perspective on whatever the, the topic was, and that's why, I guess, now he's such a, a, a sought-after pundit in this country, but particularly back in Italy. He's from very good stock, isn't he? He is. Realize. He's from, you know, he's... Well, that's the funny thing that in... I think it's quite a, an English phenomenon, only having footballers from one particular demographic and that's yeah. something that perhaps isn't true anymore particularly with the influx of foreigns Pirlo again is, is, is also quite posh yeah he is isn't he mm. and I think Nicola Berti might be certainly acts like he is <laughs> but Nicola Berti is funny because Viali I really enjoyed Nicola Berti uh, I had a, a strange chemistry oh, with yeah. and I yeah yeah I, in there what was, sense just that he was he thought it was hugely entertaining this uh, Nicola Berti a lot of Listeners won't recall. Yeah, he played for Inter. He in, did. He yeah. also played for Tottenham, bizarrely. Oh, yeah, he did, of course. He, he had did, a, yeah. But he was part of the great Inter side of, that Trapattoni had that with uh, Bremer and, and, and Klinsmann and Mateus, and who, who, had, who set a points record. and uh, They were a fantastic team. Mm. So uh, one of the things that Paul Ince reveals about his time at Inter was one of his favourite things was going to house parties and Nicola Berti's house, because Nicola Berti was legendary as being the, the centre of the kind of oh, Milanese really? mondanity, you know, that he would he would have um, Uma Thurman there. Oh, or, really? Yeah, yeah. Ince goes along the first time, and he's got his headphones on because he didn't feel like he knew anyone, so he just kind of concentrated. Yeah. And he looks up, and all of a sudden, Joe Pesci's there. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and Nicola Berti, when he received his first paycheck as a professional footballer, the way he tells it, he looked at it, thought for a bit, and realise I can live for the rest of my life off the money that I make in the next few years as a footballer if I handle this right. And as I understand it, he now spends his life six months of the year in Milan and the rest of the year in the Caribbean sailing his yacht. Oh, wow. Did you go to those parties? No. No? No. He must have been able to get an invite. Yeah, that would have been nice. That is a party I would have overcome my shyness to <laughs> attend. <laughs> One person who I want to know if you ever met is Kenneth Wollstoneholm. Oh, yes. Often I would meet Ken because sometimes I would bring the tapes back to London myself. I can't the, believe you had these kind of runner actually, jobs. In those days, you had big tapes that were the size of a... If you order a really big hardback book on Amazon, yeah. that's what the actual videotapes looked like. And you were tasked with travelling well, back no, to London? What, what, there were people or there were satellite feeds for that. But if I fancied going back to London for a weekend, what I could do is say, I'll bring the tapes back, can you book me this flight? And I get uh -huh. a free trip back to London. So... <laughs> All I'd have to do is turn up on the Friday morning at the place where they edited it, which for me was quite fun because that was by then my kind of extended family. Yeah. And if I was at all lonely out in Italy, you know, at last here were people who, who got me and, you know, might make me a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, so on those occasions I would meet Ken and he was, if you imagine him as being a, a splendid avuncular figure, that yeah. he was very much that. Did he ever bring up 1966? I don't think he ever would have felt the need to because it's the kind of thing yeah. people would have brought up for yeah. him. He did the, the famously World in Motion, which begins with those words, which he re-recorded for that track. Oh, did he? But they didn't tell him that's what they were doing. And I think he felt he was too polite to say anything about it, but it, I got the what, sense what that he What else did he think New Order were doing with No, it? well, it wasn't... New Order, didn't, Hooky didn't turn up with, <laughs> <laughs> with, his, with his real to real. We're remixing Blue Monday. In the, in the Hacienda. <laughs> Could you... <laughs> Since you're here, Ken. Could you... 
No, so somebody just said, Ken, those words are so historic. What did you actually say? And he said it, and they went, oh, okay, good. <laughs> uh, people you allegedly didn't get on so well with, and I oh. hope this is true. I heard you, that you tried to do a phone interview with Marco Branca, mm. and you came unstuck. That's true. So Marco Branca, who, to be fair to him, had had an unpleasant experience in the UK by this point, and I think probably felt it took a dim view about the English in general. I was able to get his number and rang up and his girlfriend answered and she said, oh, Marco's not here right now. But yeah, sure, I'm sure he'd be delighted to talk to you. Call back in, whatever. So I ring back and this, <laughs> he answers. He says, no, there's no Marco Branco here. <laughs> You've got the wrong number. Yeah. Um, quite a cast of characters you also had on uh, Gazetta for Boy Teller. Joe Jordan. Yes. Nutter. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever kicked off in a piazza, I don't. You would. Well, be in we've trouble. seen, haven't we? When young Gennaro Gattuso squared up to him on the oh, on the sideline at San Siro, I'd, li- I'd have liked to have seen that. I've no, not did seen you? That. Europe, yeah, I seen. Yeah, this seen... was in Europe and um, Spurs, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah. And the game was going badly for for Milan, and 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 Gattuso ran up and tried to pick a fight with him, and Jordan just, who's I don't know how many years his senior, just stares him down, and there's this kind of whimper and. <laughs> If, they, if they'd have been left to get on with it, they'd still be fighting now. No, I, <laughs> I think that one blocked. would have ended very, very swiftly and suddenly. Yeah, I backed Joe Jordan all the way. There was a coil. Joe was a, the nicest man with me, um, particularly given the fact that by this point I was riding high as the kind of face of Italian football. But people like Joe had actually been out there, lived it, played in it, scored a goal in the derby, all that stuff. And he would get stopped so much. I mean, I wouldn't get recognised in Italy, but Liam Brady, who was on Ooh. a lot in the early years, but particularly Joe Jordan, used to get stopped by people going, hey, Lo Squalo, uh, Jaws, which was their nickname for him because he didn't have any teeth really? like the character in Moonraker. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lo Squalo. You, you had Pierluigi Colina, as yeah. a pundit once. Oh, OK, yeah, Pierluigi Colina. He was absolutely miserable. Was always, <laughs> no, he was so... He was just... He was really unpleasant, and the slightest hint of a technical hitch, which you know you're going to have when yeah. you're doing something from a stadium linking up with a studio in London, he would go, oh, well, it's not working, I'll go to my seat, and you call me later. <laughs> then at the end, we got through the whole thing, I said to him, Pierluigi, thank you so much. By the way, can you just say, I'm Pierluigi Colina, you're watching Football Italia on Bravo? And he said, no, that's not in my contract. <laughs> tough disciplinary. Yeah, really. I think the best person you were ever joined by most hmm. was Elvis Costello. Elvis Costello. <laughs> How did you end up with Elvis Costello? So next Elvis Costello, in the NME, which used to do uh, a section where they would ask all their kind of celebrity interviewees for their quotes of the year. Hmm. And we were shocked, the producer at the time, Steve Gowans, was shocked to read in the NME, Elvis nominating a couple of quotes from Gary Bloom from Football Italia oh, wow. as his quote of the year. What and are the I, quotes? Well, I think it might have been, and Batistuta falls to the ground like a man who's had his last ice cream taken away from him. There was another one about two drunks fighting in a disco, and there was one as well about falls to the ground like a man whose children have been taken into care. <laughs> Basically, it being silly, a lot of the similes were based around people falling to the ground. <laughs> and Gary had, a, had, a, had an expression for all of them. And Elvis Costello Elvis, kept these close to his heart. So as, as it turned out, Elvis was a, a big fan of all things Italian, not least their football. And so we got in touch with him and said, would you come out and we, we'd love to have you on as a guest on the show. So what we arranged was he would come out, go to Florence's favourite city, watch Fiorentina Juve, which is Fiorentina's biggest game of the year. And then we'd go up and do the actual game on the Sunday that he was there to do. 
and and I said, and I'll come with you all the way. <laughs> I bet you did. Yeah. So, but so he you had a two-day kind of so I basically weekend break with Elvis with Costello. Elvis Costello which, yeah. Are you a fan? Oh no, I was massively a fan. The most iconic bit of it, I suppose, is you did the half times as, 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 as Elvis Costello tracks. As Elvis Costello yeah. tracks. How yeah. uh, how nervous were you? Did he know you were going to do that? No, no. Um, and were you looking him in the eye as you did? When I was probably reading them off a bit of paper. So the graphic goes up. I think we come back. I say, welcome back, everyone. Football Italia here at the Morassi. Let's have a quick look at the halftime scores. And then I go through them and cleverly work in. Can you Elvis remember Costello. any of them? A lot of them were, a lot of them were based around kind of players who were, for example. Alexi Lalas's Padova weren't losing, so that was American without tears. Uh, um, Oliver Decor's army? No, that, that was, uh, what was his name? Oliveira. Uh, so oh, Calgary, yeah. that was Oliveira's army. Uh, less than zero, I'm sure, made an appearance in there. There was nothing particular. Oh, it was an own goal, but yeah, yeah accidents will happen. All that stuff. <laughs> Foggia are trailing 2-1 at home to Bari in the Puglia derby. After Padoni scored twice for uh, Bari, his aim is certainly true. Uh, up at uh, Genoa, it's uh, well here at Genoa indeed the game we're actually watching Genoa's at nil nil less than zero very much the score there into nil nil with Cremonese there's no action of that match either unfortunately and Lazio uh, against Cagliari Lazio nil uh, nil with Cagliari at the moment having a bit of trouble against Oliveira's army Padova nil nil with uh, Roma so so far for Roma American without tears and uh, meanwhile at Reggiana it's Milan two and Reggiana nil. Lentini there getting the first goal for Milan. An own goal by Di Napoli. Accidents will happen, as we know. And it's certainly turning into a good year for the Rossoneri so far for Milan. Did you have any other celebrities? There must have been other celebrities that would uh, tap you well, up to come yeah, out. As soon as you're the fixer for Serie A. No, yeah, I can count them on one hand, actually. Count them Unless I've forgotten somebody really famous. We had Elvis. Yeah. Uh, Brian Adams. Brian Adams. Yeah, who was really good. Was he a big fan of Syria? We were at San Siro, and he, he I think, was playing in, oh, right, in town. Yeah. So we've seen in the Gazetta that Brian Adams is going to the game. So the person who was kind of the, the fixer on the Sunday show went down and found him and said, listen, we're doing English TV, would you come up? So he came up. Oh, wow. And he was, re- he was, he was, it was one of those annoying things where he was far better than I was. So I, <laughs> I sort of sat him down and went, so Brian and made some kind of crack and he cracked straight back at me and I kind of stared at him. Thinking, this, this wasn't supposed to happen. Thank God you weren't going for this job in 1992 or I Absolutely. wouldn't be here. Who were the other celebs that you had? Probably there were other celebs who were desperate to get on. We just didn't know they were watching. Yeah, Joe Pesci and Uma Thurman. <laughs> it was, it was, and this this may come across. It was, in many ways, quite a professional operation for the nineties. But in many ways, it was very ramshackle and, and haphazard and DIY. And oh, we'll just do this. But then a lot of TV, in my experience, is like that. Can it's, we cover off the theme tune quickly? Oh yeah. So there was a rumor going around my school that yes. uh, it was goal Lazio actually meant rubbish goal translated. So this is an this iconic chant of Golazzo is actually an English bloke doing a version of a Brazilian bloke commentating on Italian TV. And as such, it's quite close to a lot of different meanings. Yeah. Golacho, I mean, anything that's adcho is kind of a pejorative adjective. So it means, yeah, a, a dirty kind of scrappy goal. But a golazo in kind of South American parlance certainly Brazilian. Jose Altafini was the kind of naturalised Brazilian, Brazilian naturalised Italian who 
whose commentary Steve DeBerry was doing a version of, had shouted, Golasso! And he changed it into Golazzo. And as it transpired, much as a lot of playground inhabitants in the 90s mm. had imagined, it was actually Go Lazio, which I for years refused to believe because I thought, why would, you know, we're covering City Out, why would we be going Go Lazio? It'd be bizarre, like yeah. match of the day going Go Man United. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And well, just if you've them. seen their running order, they might as well. Oh, no. <laughs> That's so true, isn't it? Did you, as a Roma fan, so, so did you have a dislike, a want, a, a want for Lazio to fail? And a... Yeah, uh, always. <laughs> Lazio were, without wishing to tar everyone with the same brush, they had some pretty objectionable fans. Yes, they still do. And, and they still do. And at the time, the political divide between the Roma fans and, and the Lazio fans was quite clear. One was very much kind of left-wing yeah. and the other was significantly to the right. Yeah. I happened to the girl I was going out with was from a family of Romanista, which is why I. But I think I always would have been a Roma fan anyway, just because. Yeah. You know. When I heard you say Romanista there, I think yeah. that one of the reasons it felt like an exciting kind of different world when we were watching Italian football is you drop in so many of the kind of Italian. Just there's little turns of phrase that obviously only apply to Italian football. Hmm. Did you feel like you were educating the UK on Italian football? I mean, it's Saturday morning. I don't think anybody really wants to be educated. <laughs> Saturday morning. But certainly the, part, the purpose of the Saturday show and the features that I was doing was mm. to introduce a lot of the audience to a team that they might want to watch on the Sunday, to give them some yeah. context within which to care about that team, those players. And as such, yeah, there was a lot of informing people about there's a lot work. of good stories. Like, like the you've done a podcast on Juventus versus Fiorentina, mm. and it's amazing. Like the strength of the rivalries. I think they're far kind of harsher than they are in the Premier League over here. The hatred, particularly how much a player is identified with a club, is so mm. much stronger in Italy than it is. Well, one of the reasons might be because of the regional feeling that there is in Italy. I don't know now, but certainly used to regularly in the summers here of, of scraps on the beaches particularly in Tuscany, where people from Livorno and people from Pisa would, would rub up against each other. And there's kind of like bizarre Italian yeah. version of postcode wars or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, because they all come from these warring yeah. city-states that not that long ago would actually go at it with trebuchets and stuff like that. Uh, so I think that might be that it's now been kind of subliminated yeah. into their, 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 their football. I think that because that Maradona kind of representing Naples, I suppose mm. that... Kind of greatest example of that is the 1990 World Cup right. when he was saying there was the semi-final in Naples and he basically said, Italy don't care about you for the rest of the year, so they're not going to care about you now for support Argentina. Yeah. Did you feel that when you're over there, this kind of tribal... Oh, element? no, it's clearly enormously tribal. Yeah. They changed number plates, actually. They, they changed the number plate system in Italy, and I'm not sure it was entirely, but I'm pretty sure it must have been a factor that... If you had, we had a, a, a number plate, a, a Roma number plate with the crew when we were doing, and it, one time in Florence it got smashed up uh, after Lazio were playing there because it was a, it was a Roma number plate. Yeah. So, blimey! Yeah. You, one of the harshest, kind of most awful games you went to, I suppose, was there was one where the Genoa Genoa fans, Milan, yeah, yeah. So you were at that game where the fans yeah, killed beforehand. So, yeah, it was obviously a horrible day. Yeah. Fan gets stabbed. The game gets abandoned halfway after the fans tell the players, you're not continuing with this. What did you? When did you find out that the fan had been stabbed? 
I would think that word was probably filtering around in the first half because there was unrest. You could see that something was bothering the yeah. the crowd. Anyway, it emerged that the game wasn't going to continue, so Channel 4 back in, in London switched to the second half of, of another match. But they said, can you hang around and just do your usual wrap-up at the end and also tell us what the, what's the latest? So this, this, this Genoa fan had been stabbed by one of the visiting fans, and the Genoa fans were keen not to let the Milanisti leave without exacting some form of revenge. So basically they besieged that end of the, the Marassi. When we went out, because we had the Saturday show, I thought well, we'd probably need some pictures of this. So I told the cameraman in a particularly stupid move, just film the police basically holding all these yeah. fans. But it was getting quite ugly by this point. And I, I thought, we'll just get a couple of shots, but classic cameraman thing. He goes, oh, I'll just, I'll just get another angle, I'll just get another angle. And he disappears. So I'm stood there for a while thinking, uh, hope he's all right. <laughs> and then I see him approaching, walking about as fast as you can without breaking into a panic run with the sound man right behind him. And this behind him... This kind of a bit like the start of Indiana Jones, you know, when he's escaped the Raiders Lost Ark, when they're all running through. There were no kind of blowpipes and stuff, but it was close. <laughs> so they're, they're getting closer and closer. And at this point, somebody smashes the camera off his off his shoulder, and, and and so they basically come up and say, "Hey, jump in the car," and they drive off. So what are you doing at this moment? Well, at this moment, I'm just kind of like reeling because someone's just bought me on the side of the head. Yeah. And I look round, and there's this big guy there, and he says, "Give me the tape." <laughs> So I'm thinking he means the tape that's in the car that's speeding off at the moment. This is not going to end. Yeah. Well, this is going to end. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, I, I basically just said, Sono inglese. <laughs> and they went, oh, oh don't worry, we'll sort you out. And immediately one of the ultras was delegated to escort me out of the... Oh, wow. Yeah, past smashed up police cars and all this oh, stuff. Oh, my God. Put me in a cab and, you know, you you were right. Yeah. So, as I say, you know, being English yeah. back in those days... Got your respect. And it's funny, because you try that now in any game in Rome and you will end up with, a very, you know, yeah, after <laughs> Brexit, the perforated buttocks and, and that. But in those days, it seemed to work like a charm. One of the other games... Now, this might be another phantom memory. Uh-huh. Is I seem to remember, so the day, the Sunday that Princess Diana died, mm. I remember that, obviously, it was blanket coverage over all the, the four channels. Right. But then I remember... That Channel Four showed should have football was game. it was it Ronaldo's debut? It right? was, yeah, it was. It was really bizarrely. So in Italy, it's remembered for other reasons that game, and it is quite a famous match. Mm. But it fell on the day that the news had come through. Yeah. So we go to San Diego. Somebody told me about it at the airport. We're waiting for the plane. I'm like, what? This so we fly up to Milan, and we get there, and the Channel Four people are on the phone saying, "Can you check and see if the game's going ahead?" So. You can imagine the Presume it's not, do you, at this point? No, the game's going ahead in Italy. They're oh, yeah, I suppose it's, it's Yeah, they're yeah. not going to stop the game for <laughs> some random royal dying in another country. <laughs> yeah. With the greatest of respect. <laughs> of course. So the game starts, but the problem is the Brescia lineup, which features a player, well, she died with Doni, or Dodi, right? Dodi, yeah. And there's a player called Doni playing for Brescia, but worse, there's a player called Diana. Oh, I mean, the yeah. chances. Well, of they that. pronounce it Diana, but for Peter Brackley, the commentator, that was not easy. <laughs> That game, as you as you correctly point out, was Ronaldo that you know or phenomenal yeah. Ronaldo's debut for Inter, but it was going really really badly. They were losing to unfancy minnows, Brescia, uh, until sometime into the second half when who would the manager have been? Gigi Simone, I think, would have brought on a young man named Alvaro Recoba, oh, yeah. the China man, 
Is that what they called that him? That was they called him because he had oh, slightly, yeah. know, his, his eyes resembled, they were slightly oriental. So the, the Chinaman, El Chino. Yeah. You wouldn't do that these days. No, oh. in Italy you probably would. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think much, much would. Much yeah. has changed. No, no. So, and he scored two absolute belters. Yeah. And so it became kind of the, the, the day that Rakoba became every, every hipster's favourite player. So that's your memory of that. When people say, where were you when Diana died? You were yeah. watching. It wasn't me. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the World Cups in the 90s. I've heard you say that one of your all-time favourite games was Brazil 3, Holland 2 in the quarter-final of the World Cup in 94. Oh, yeah, but I was a lot younger then. Were you, did you go to the World Cup in 94? No. No. That would have been a lads magazine or something. <laughs> I think I explained before we started that I'm really bad at interviews and sometimes I get really stupid. <laughs> stupid. And it was all, I think it was all because I wasn't entirely um, compass mentis when I was watching it. And a pizza arrived in the middle that I'd forgotten that I'd ordered. <laughs> Did, so, you, did you watch that World Cup in Italy? The I was in Italy for the end of it. Why did you watch the final in Italy in Rome in a piazza in Rome? Oh, really? Yeah. What was the What was the atmosphere like there? Well, it was a really mixed uh, experience that for Italians because they were rubbish. Do you know, for most you were talking with uh, Matt Letizia about yeah. if if Glenn Hoddle had won the World Cup. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and how he would have felt conflicted about yeah. Hoddle being. England's World Cup winner. Yeah. Well, that's exactly how Italians felt about Arrigo Sacchi, the prospect oh, of him really? bringing the World Cup home. So, although he's since denied it repeatedly, Gianluca Vialli, definitely head of that World Cup, said, I will not be supporting Italy oh, in really? USA 94. And a lot of Italians felt the same way, that Sacchi was this kind of meddling imbecile who, who, who wasted the best players, used them out of position, was in love with his formula and his systems and... Wasn't the right man to be leading the Azuri, and 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 also needed to be taken down a notch or two. And I think, although it was heartbreaking, obviously losing on yeah. penalties in the final, the, the the silver lining was that Saki didn't come home a winner. I don't think there is an England manager, possibly Sam Allardyce, that I would resent winning the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> Why Sam Allardyce? I don't, I, I think it would be an awful it would be step. <laughs> it'd, fill it, it'd fill it up with wine and just guzzle it. <laughs> That would be trolling the planet. <laughs> Just on that kind of USA 94, when I think about like what was the high watermark of Serie A and Italian football, for me, I think it's Baggio missing the penalty. I know, I think Milan had won the Champions League in 94, and I think Juve yeah. did it a couple of years after. What would you say for you was the, the high point of Serie A? When, and when did like, it start to lose its, its gloss as someone who was on the inside? I think Milan for Barcelona nil in Athens against Kreuz Barcelona with yeah. the, a Milan team that was essentially a, a team in transition and was missing some pretty key players that day anyway. That was just fantastic. Desai rolled in by Albertini. Marcel Desai beyond all reasonable doubt. It is a pinch yourself moment for followers of the Rossoneri. Is this really happening? I mean, all that period, the stats are ridiculous. Between the, the decade between 89 and 99, Italy had 14 UEFA Cup finalists. Uh, in the seven years, I think, between 89 and 95, they had, I think, seven Champions League or European Cup finalists and, and won it for two or three times. I mean, their, their dominance yeah. of the Cups was just... Ridiculous, and it took a while to realise that when it's when those results stopped coming, that it wasn't just a blip. I I wouldn't know exactly when, but it would be post ninety eight. Ninety eight, I think Lazio win the UEFA Cup, and post that, well, you had that Milan 
Juventus Champions League final in 2003, but that was wasn't oh, a particularly that was awful. Freak. My fr- I lived in Manchester. I was a student. And my uh-huh. my friend paid a hundred pounds, which when you're a student is a lot of money, yeah. for a ticket off a tout. And watching that nil nil was one of the sweetest moments of my <laughs> life. <laughs> I should ask because. Yes. I'd say in the 90s, the football was defined, maybe maybe the move towards a kind of more thoughtful, funny approach was, I'd say, Football Italia, Fancy Football and Danny Baker would be the things mm. I would consider. When you were on Fancy Football, I was very excited that, to see you on the did guest list. Did you watch list. that? I did watch it, yeah. How was that for you? It was a, it was a funny one. Yeah. It didn't work out particularly well, I don't think. I don't know if they were happy with it. It's quite an entertaining clip, not least because I'm wearing boat shoes with no socks. (laughs) But I knew nothing about what they were talking about. Yeah, of course. I I really knew nothing. This was 96. It was during Euro 96. Yeah. And I I think I probably felt enormously out of my depth. So I basically just sat there with a wry... Have you ever been to a party at which you don't know anyone? (laughs) So you adopt a slightly wry smile, like a sardonic smile, like I'm observing you. They're making jokes about Carlton Palmer. You've never heard of him, that kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) I think they'd assume, not unnaturally, that I was a, a young man who had incredible stories to tell about life in Italy and, and probably about his, his club in England and all that. Yeah. And, and, and what they found was something quite different. <laughs> a, a man who, through you know, his love of the Italian tongue, in, in so many ways, <laughs> had, had, had wandered into this, this, this dream job. Um, wait, I suppose we've got to talk about the kind of downfall of Italian football, and I guess oh. there was a lot of contributing factors, one of which was was match-fixing and, you know, the dodgy dealing that kind of got going on behind the scenes. I wondered whether you were ever at a game or... You, you must have heard these rumours. Did you see anything suspicious? Yeah. But I still do now. I mean, that's the problem. Now when I watch a game, wherever it's from, I see something happen. I think, no, come on. Really? Yeah, all the time. Do you not do that? I never think of that. I never would oh, think I of it. I often think about that. That's Come a man on. schooled in Italian. What kind of thing? Like see, someone letting in a goal? Or like you see goal. defenders not busting a gut to get back. You think, hello? <laughs> no? Do you not? Well, I spot West Ham. So yeah. <laughs> I remember the first season I was there, a goal that Carnevale was playing for Roma against Udinese. And uh, he was through on goal. And he, he basically realised and just kind of checked himself and trickled <laughs> the ball towards the goal so that the Udinese defenders could get back and clear. And they were doing a deal for Abel Balbo to, to move down to, oh, to yeah. Roma. And it was kind of clear that there was a, a mutual non-aggression pact going on. And then loads of other, like the, the Rome derby when Di Canio and Cassano basically spoke to each other at the centre circle with their, you know, their hands over their mouths. And then they basically just... You remember the Man City passing the ball between yeah. themselves against Chelsea? Well, both teams were, were playing Chelsea in that particular scenario. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, loads of you, stuff. Did you ever and kind every, of hint at it on football? I never m- no, remember we, we, it as we a thing. No, we probably joked about it because the whole thing about Italian football for years and years and years until 2006 was that Juve rig it. And Roma fans would talk about the winds from the north that would blow things in a certain mm. direction. And then in 2006, you had a judge who basically said, we've done all the wiretaps. And yes, they were not fixing specific results, but they had enough influence with enough people, the spin of whose career would depend on goodwill from Juve, that they could effectively ensure that that bad things didn't happen to them. And there were all sorts of stories about... I mean, my favourite one was Luciano Moggi, who was the director general at the time of Juventus. After a game, he was so incensed by the referee not basically being favourable to Juve, that he locked him in the toilet and <laughs> drove, drove to the airport with the key. 
<laughs> and this is the referee of the match. So anyway, they tapped his all his phones and he had so many phones and they brought the whole thing down and the other clubs that clearly had recognised that this was the game that you needed to play, a little bit like, say, Lance Armstrong with doping, that mm. that's how you do it, that's... The, the playing field isn't level and therefore we have to take the same measures everybody else is. So other clubs, and this might be a slightly simplistic reading, other clubs were caught up in it, other clubs were punished. And the ones that weren't, and this is why there's so much bitterness now between Juve and Inter, it, were Inter who got awarded two titles because it was a judge that they had, they alone of the big clubs had, had remained extraneous to all of this. And uh, you know, Juve fans will say, yeah, but who was doing the recordings? It was Tim and Tim were owned by one of the people who is a part owner of Inter. So, you know. I thought, I'm not familiar with the story. Who's this Tim guy? <laughs> Telefon Italia Morbili. Final question. Okay, then. This we is it. One final question. Must this end? <laughs> and I mean, usually we don't really know what people are going to answer to this, but having reflected on such a golden age of, of Italian football and also seemingly your life too, mm. the final question is, if you could press a button and you mm. could go back in time to the 1st of January 1990 and do it all again, would you? For sure. Also, would I know, would I be aware yeah. yes. in kind of Groundhog Day style? Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine how much money I'd make? <laughs> You're the first person that's answered it in that manner. <laughs> no, but it, it would be... I mean, it was the 90s. Can you imagine living in the 90s again? Damn! But you know what? Let me say to you, Chris, that in 10 years' time, someone might say to you, if you could go back in time... What year are we in? 2018? Yeah, to 2018. Would you do that? In 10 years' time, you'll be going, oh, that would be amazing, but that's what you've got right now. Cherish these moments, Chris. Wow, Cherish them. I feel like this is kind of philosophical chat you and Viali might have had, so yeah. I'm, glad, I'm glad we have a similar kind of chemistry. James Richardson. Oh, yeah. Thank you for cherishing this moment with us. Thank you. That was James Richardson. In a way, it's made me really excited for the World Cup because, you know, there's so much, like, history and excitement attached to James Richardson. Reminds me of the good old days. I think the thing with James Richardson is, of all the people we've interviewed, with perhaps the exception of Jim Rosenthal, he's got such a kind of iconic voice. It feels like you're properly talking to someone who you were kind of brought up by through the TV. Yeah. You don't get that with Mark Lawrence. <laughs> It's funny, when we were interviewing him, I was thinking I'd love to have his voice as my sat-nav. <laughs> I was thinking I'd love to fall asleep in his arms just once. <laughs> now, um, thank you for all your wonderful reviews on iTunes. As always, um, I'm like, check them. Are they still coming in? Yes, they are still coming in. Good. In the first series, we said, leave a review under the name of a 90s footballer. In the second series, we said, leave a review with a reference to something. It's the third series... What we're asking for is for you to leave a review in a haiku. Yes, it's review haiku. <laughs> Go on iTunes, leave one. We're going to read out our two favourite haikus. Michael pick his favourite. And this time, you won't get featured in the opening title sequence. You're going to get a quickly Kevin mug that says a catchphrase that we've come up with. Graham says, hit Les. It's not exactly a catchphrase we've come up with. It was obviously <laughs> Graham Taylor. But we thought it looks quite cool on a shirt. We were trying to make it also, look like Also, com coming up with a catchphrase is very similar to Paul Lintz calling himself the governor. <laughs> <laughs> so what, uh, what two reviews have we got? So week? in the second series, we said leave a 90s reference in there. Well, we've got a footballer and a 90s reference in there. The first one is, goes like this. 
One, two, three, four, five stars. Listen to a little bit of this of my friends, Monica, Erica, Rita, <laughs> Tina, Sandra, Mary, Jessica. And that is Lou Bega. Uh, and then we also had this one from Inland Drink. He says, amazing, never miss a show. I will simply exit like my surname, Paul Rideout. Well, there's only one winner there. There's only one winner, Lou Lou Bega. Bega. So there you go. Lou Bega wins this week. If you want to win next week and get your hands on a Graham Says Hit Les mug, then just go on iTunes, leave a review in the style of a haiku. If you have any correspondence, here is Jim Rosenthal to tell you how to contact us. Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin.com. And sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. Right, time for the quiz. Okay, so here's how it works. Each week, Josh and Chris go head-to-head in a 90s football quiz to choose which 90s song gets to play out at the end of the show. So in honour of our guest, James Richardson, this week the quiz is an Italian football special. So here's your question. In the 90s, a total of seven English players played... In Syria, ah. Chris and Josh, you will take it in turns to name one of those players. The winner is the person who successfully names a player when the other cannot. So it's a sudden death quiz. We flipped a coin before the show, so Josh, you get to go first. And before you start, Tony Dorigo is Australian, even though he played for England, so okay. he does not count. Okay. Okay. Fine. Josh. Paul Gascoigne. Correct. Chris. David Platt. Correct. Josh. Paul Ince. Correct. Chris. Oh, this is it. Daniel Dicchio. Correct. Josh. <laughs> There's Walker. Correct. So that's five just eliminated. No just say no. I'm out. <laughs> so oh. if you get this. So this to draw. And if you've got another one in the bag, you've got the win. Well, I'll let you into a little secret now. I don't. <laughs> um, uh, did Chris Waddle? Incorrect. Oh! So Josh wins. So, can I have a guess? The other two. Yes, you may. Lee Sharp. Correct. Uh, and Paul Elliott. No, the final oh. one, which you would have done very well to get, was Frank Carr. Franz Carr. Yeah, he played at Regina between '96 ah! and 1998. Uh. So, Josh is the winner. What song would you like to play out the show? The theme tune to Gladiators. <laughs> Right, we'll see you next week when our guest will be Lee Dixon talking 89 and all that. It is genuinely one of my favourite interviews we've ever done by a distance. We'll see you next week. Robbie Slater, see you later.
This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.